0: Oh, thanks you guys. Good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, I'm, I'm Tim. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. It's really good to be with you. I'm celebrating today. Um, I don't know if you just, you know, you probably had your eyes closed as Maya was praying, but um, I, uh, um, I got to do something that I haven't done in a little while um, just now. Um, I got to move this table, which that might not seem like a big deal to you. Um, But I had this little thing happen in October um, where my spleen ruptured and then people didn't let me pick up things and move things. And so um, they had to put wheels on it, but I get to move this all around now and and, am three months out and free to to actually move and do things now. So that was good. The doctor said you can't do anything that uh, involves both feet off the ground at the same time to like running or biking or, or jumping or cartwheels or uh, sleeping. So I haven't been able to do any of that for, for three months and now can, can return to normal activity and um, I'm really glad for that. So thanks for letting me celebrate that uh, with you. I, uh, I need to tell you, I'm, um, I'm, I'm really excited about what we get to, to talk about today uh, and I'm learning something new about myself is that when I get really excited, uh, I, I also get nervous. And uh, this might sound weird to you, but I I typically don't get nervous. Um, I'm I'm guessing with whatever you do with regularity and and your vocation, your job, uh, your daily life, you don't get nervous. And so while speaking in front of people for um, apparently most of, at least North America, where these statistics are from, is that people would rather get eaten by a shark than speak in front of public. And you know, um, I just don't normally get nervous, and I'm a little nervous um, because I'm excited. I, I think what we have to talk about today and where God's leading us is, is really good. Um, I'm, I'm glad for it. I can't wait for it, and, and I'm a little nervous. So I think what we have to talk about today is, is really, really good. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. Um, but I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we're going we're gonna to dive in. So let's pray together. God, you're good. Um, you are all-powerful. Uh, you are loving. Uh, you are worthy of our attention and our uh, adoration uh, of our very lives. Uh, and so in this place this morning, we we declare those things together. We sing those things together, that, uh, that you're a God who knows us and loves us and sees every part of our lives and, and still delights in us. And that is that's kind of bizarre and weird and I, I, st- I still can't fully wrap my brain around that, and I think that's a really good thing. And, and so, God, this morning, would you be honored and loved and glorified in this place? And Holy Spirit, we, uh, as we always do, we expect and anticipate that you will be at work here, that you will be free to move. Uh, this morning, I, I pray that you would come in power, that we would sense you uh, active and, and alive and moving uh, in us and in our church and in this very moment. Uh, this morning. And so uh, would you help us to be alert and to wake up, uh, to to step out of the dreariness that is around us in our city and into into your hope and light this morning? Uh, Would you you have our hearts this morning? Our very will would be in your hand and you could guide and direct it and heal it and convict it and comfort it. Would you be working in our time here? And Jesus, as we seek to know you and. Looking into your word and hearing from you and reading you and studying your word is part of that. And so would you, would you teach us and direct us and guide us uh, as, we, as we seek to follow you as our Lord and as our Redeemer and as our King? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want to start with uh, some words from Jesus. It's a question and it's uh, It's actually the first words of his in in the fourth gospel, the the book of John. And it's a a question I just want us to start with as we we step into this this new season and this new series. Uh, And it's a question that we, it's not new, um, but there's a lot of different layers and levels that we can ask this question at. Uh, And the question is simply this, is is what do you want? Jesus asked that of his first disciples in in the book of John in chapter 1 in verse 38, it says that he turned around and Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Um, John, the, John the Baptist had been talking about Jesus and forecasting him, and then he points to Jesus and says, there's, there's the Lamb of God uh, who's going to take away the sins of the world. And so the attention from the people that had been following John, John's disciples, all of a sudden shifted and looked at the Jesus, and they went okay, this is the one that John's been talking about. So they start to follow him. And if you can imagine Jesus just kind of walking, and it doesn't say where he's walking to necessarily, he's just walking in, and he turns around and he sees two in particular of the first, what would become the first disciples following Jesus. And his question to them is, what do you want? And their answer is similar to maybe many of our answers that that we would say, if somebody asks you, what do you want? I mean, if you ask me what I want, I mean, depending on the time of day that you caught me, I might say something like, uh, that we would fix our healthcare system. That's something that I want. If I'm running late, I want the, the lights in front of me to, to always be green and not be stuck on those other colors that slow me down, one of them speeds me up. But that, that, that get in our, our way, Like that's what I, I want. Um, I, I want some really good food because I'm, I'm hungry. That's, that's what I want. They, they respond with them with, um, where are you going? Where, do you, where are you staying? And so Jesus being Jesus is like, okay, that's just, that's just sheer nonsense. Now, granted, it's in our text, it's in here, but it's the very next verse, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like, Jesus knows full well that's not what they want. That's not why they're following him, to, to, to track him to his home and hang out with him. That's, they want something more. They want to hang out with him because they want something much, much more and, and deeper. That, that we've got these answers to things that we want, but the, the question can actually be asked at a lot of different levels, can't it? I mean, that, the reason you're not telling me what you want is because you sense that I'm not just asking what you want for brunch, but that Jesus is asking something much deeper, and so we don't just offer those things because they're a lot closer to who we are. And in fact, as that question gets asked over and over in many different ways by Jesus as he walks with his disciples, they sense the very same thing that, that you can get a sense for, that, that that question actually is intended to and has the ability to drive down to the very core of who we are and deal with the things that we really, really want. And at that level, we don't even call them wants, do we? We call them longings, the things that we long for, the things that we, the other word that we use is desire. Jesus, in the book of John, the very, very first thing he asks of those that are following him is that he's keen to the reality that there's something missing in their life that they're longing for and that's what's driving them to follow him because they think he might actually have the answers. What do you want? What do you long for? What are your your deepest desires? Jesus is asking about those. And much like this, where he asked his very, very first followers, what is it that you desire and long for and want? He's going after their heart. When we ask that question and get down to that level, it's it's the core of who we are. It's it's our heart. Dallas Willard says says this. These are some words from Dallas, but if you don't know who Dallas Willard is, he's um, I consider him a mentor of mine. I've read most of his books. I got to spend a little bit of time with him. Um, he passed away about seven years ago, but he uh, was the chair of philosophy at the University Center of Southern California and was a follower of Jesus for the majority of his life and wrote a lot of really helpful books on following Jesus. He says this, The revolution of Jesus, which if you didn't know that Jesus showed up for a revolution, that might, that might be a new way to think about it. But the reason that Jesus showed up was to to radically change things that were in place and to bring his kingdom The revolution of Jesus, the reason he was born as an infant and grew to an adult and went to the cross, is in the first place and continuously a revolution of my heart, of your heart, of the human heart. It's a first place and continuously a a revolution of the heart. We can think about the revolution of Jesus in a lot of different ways of what we want to see the world change, but he actually starts with those first two guys that start following him and says, what's the condition of your heart? What's going on in the deepest part of who you are? And just a, a quick, we'll get to this in the coming weeks, but a quick way to think of the heart when the Bible talks about the heart is, is the core of who we are, our identity. And again, our desires and longings help to shape our identity, don't they? It's the very core of who we are. Another way to think about this, I love this phrase from one author that said, it's the, it's the chamber of our love. If you want to know where, where our love originates from, it's, it's the biblical concept of heart, Our heart, there's a lot of different answers available to us in the world today of where love comes from and what it is and how it happens and how it starts and goes away and waxes and wanes. But the biblical idea of the heart is the the chamber of our, our love. That's where our love generates from. Jesus starts there. Dallas Willard goes on and says this Our life and how we find the world now and in the future is almost totally a simple result of what we have become in the depths of our being in our spirit or will or heart. Let that sink in for a moment. Our life, my life and your life, and and how we find the world both now and in the future, so how we see everything, the lens through which we see everything around us, at least Dallas says, is almost totally a simple result of what we have become. So who I am and who you are affects our life, and how we see the world more than anything else. Who you are, what you long for, what you desire, what's your identity shapes your life, your experience in this world for the years that you have in it, and how you see everything else around you. That's a beginning to the answer of the first question I want us to wrestle with this morning. Not what do you want, but these two questions. The first is this, is why does Jesus start with our heart? Why does he come after our heart? Why is his revolution first about our heart? Why did he ask the very first disciples, what is it that you want? That's the first question. The second question is, is why now for us as a a church? Why is is looking at our hearts and dealing with our hearts and wrestling with who we really are on the inside timely for us as a church family? So first, why does Jesus start uh, with with our heart? Um, Two answers to that. One you just saw. Uh, One is that, What we desire and love defines us more than anything else. What we desire or love defines us more than anything else. The things that you desire, whether you can identify them or you've written them down in your 2020 journal or not, actually drives you more than anything else. The things that you long for, whether you're very uh, adept and self-aware and peaceful enough to, to sit calmly and go, these are the deepest longings of my heart, and I can write them out and communicate about them, Or whether you're like some of the rest of us. And it takes a lot of work to go, what is it that's really driving me? What is it that I long for? What is it that I want? Because that's affecting how I see myself in the world and how I'm navigating relationships and experience and and dreams and everything else is is what I long for. Those things, those longings, those desires affect us more than anything else. And that's why Jesus starts there. The, The book of Proverbs says this. It's so the book of wisdom, if you're not familiar with it. We spent a lot of time in Proverbs this uh, this summer. Uh, this verse does sound familiar to you. We've we've pointed to it before. Maybe you've heard it before, but Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's written by several wise people uh, People in in ancient time Solomon wrote a majority of it. It, it, It's it's the part that we can point to, and it's just a list. There's not like a story or a narrative that runs through Proverbs. It's just these lines after lines of just things that just are, are are mostly true in the world. And verse 23 of chapter four: Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Again, that's where Dallas Willard gets that idea. That more than anything else, it's what our longings for our heart, the condition of our heart. And so guard it. Guard the things that influence it. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But everything we do flows from it. A New Testament take on this from, the, from Jesus is in, is in Luke chapter 6. And uh, Luke chapter 6 is right in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, uh, The most well-known record of this is is chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. It's repeated in part in in Luke uh, as well. But Luke chapter 6, verses 43, 44, and 45. Uh, Listen to this. This is is Jesus talking and teaching uh, to a bunch of people that are around him listening. And it says this, and he's right in the middle of it. But 43 says this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. It's kind of just all common sense. We, we get that. If, it, if we start to see bad fruit on a tree, um, it's not very long that we want to advocate for that being a good tree. We pretty quickly go, the tree's bad or that's a bad season or something. But the kind of tree is, is determined by the, the fruit. We, we get that, that, that makes sense. Uh, verse 45: A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I grew up uh, in the church and the way that I remember hearing this verse for the first time and kind of stuck with me was, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I remember learning that in like middle school, high school um, from my mother, when I would run my mouth and I, I learned words that I wasn't supposed to learn or use, and I would get angry and express it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. Don't we kind of hate that that's true? Don't don't we wish that was different? Don't don't we wish I could could always talk and and say really good things and then people would think I'm I'm really good all the time. I mean, most of us can hold that together in public, but it's it's in our homes. It's the ones we're closest to and and live with. It's the ones that know us the best that, that know that that's not true, right? That's why Jesus comes after our heart first. He actually wants to know us and say, if... If your heart changes like a tree bearing good fruit, if your heart changes and grows and becomes more like my heart, then your life, the fruit of it, will, will be more like, like me. Jesus comes after the heart first. Um, if, if you find that text fascinating, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus actually throws in a, a great phrase in there. He calls the people he's talking to, which are the Pharisees in, in that text, and he calls them brood of vipers. And he's talking to them and saying, how can you think you're going to say anything good when I know your heart? You're a brood of vipers. I just think it's funny when Jesus insults people, I guess. Um, the, second, the second reason that Jesus begins with our heart is because, and we all know this, and again, maybe, maybe you're like me and you wish it was different sometimes, but change begins on the inside rather than on the outside. Change begins on the inside rather than on the outside. Just You don't have to raise your hand, but just something to consider. And I've already asked myself this question, and so I've had it sting me. But my ideas of how I wanted to start the year and new things I wanted to commit to and resolutions and those kinds of things, most of them were external. The very first ones I thought of were external. If I can get my office organized, if I can get back in shape and start running and exercising uh, again, if I can um, uh, organize my garage if I can organize my to-do list, if I can organize my desktop, if I can get all those things in order, then I'm going to be better, my year's going to be better, I'm going to be a better man and husband and father and pastor. I didn't even realize I was thinking that until I, I realized like, I got down lower on my, my list. It was just a mental list, but then it was like, well, what's, what's my time with Jesus going to look like this year? When's that going to be in my day? and How am I going to commit to it? And Who am I going to invite in to hold me accountable to that? Change starts from the inside rather than the outside. When, when Jesus talks to these brood of vipers, when he talks about the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about a list of things to do. It's, a, it's about who to be. It's the reason that the Sermon on the Mount is so preposterous to us and mysterious is because it's not just a list of things to do. It's the kind of people that we're to become. And we can't become a certain kind of people just merely by doing things. It's actually a surrender of our heart and a transformation of our heart that we can't do on our own that we actually have to invite the Holy Spirit into to transform us and be aware of and go, my desires and longings are actually on the table for you to guide and direct and heal and restore and change. Because change begins on the inside rather than the outside. It's, it's the reason that these verses that we'll be coming back to over the next uh, uh, number of weeks and known as the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. This is verse 28. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? If I want to get my life in order, and Jesus is radically transforming people near him, around him, and I'm a teacher of the law, and I see and hear that he's doing that, and I come to his crowd where people are asking him questions, and I ask him a question. I want to know, Am I doing everything right? And if not, what's the top thing I should start with? Because if I can hit that off, what's the greatest commandment? Then I'll be in line and and great to go. And maybe I'll even be on par with you, Jesus. So of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where he starts. And then he goes on with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself for there is no commandment greater than these. I love that he doesn't leave any part of our life untouched. He includes all of it. There's not a part of your life that you can think of right now that Jesus hasn't included in that greatest commandment. And then he adds a second, which the guy wasn't asking for, but he added that anyways. And he starts with the heart. And he starts with the heart because it it starts on the inside and and then our outside changes. It's so much more challenging and deeply cutting and deeply revealed to do it this way. But this is how we're designed as human beings. And we actually intuitively know it, although very rarely do we actually live that way consistently. But change happens from the inside out. Augustine said this. Augustine's a philosopher and pastor and theologian in the, uh, I think the late 3rd century, early 4th century. And, and he says this. He says, our, um, we are made, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's so much packed into this one sentence. But Augustine says, God, you've made us for you. You didn't make us to assign us something to go do work. Although we're called to that and designed for that as well. But first and foremost, we're made for you. You made us for relationship. God made us to be in relationship with him. And when we go looking for other things and live in different directions or reject him and turn our back on him or seek to live on our own or come up with our own vision for life and our own passions unrefined by him, we find ourselves in a place of restlessness. And I would add to it, loneliness. But we're restless until our heart rests in you. There's so much packed into that. And I find that true and to be reflecting the, the verses that we looked at already this morning. But the reality is, is that we live in a time and a culture in a world where we get the exact opposite message over and over and over. It's in the water that we swim in in our culture, isn't it? What do we hear from the world around us about our heart that is actually completely counter to what Jesus has just said? Let me read an article. I came across this one. This is uh, one of the things that we hear is that um, our heart is, is pure and good and is trustworthy, and we should follow our heart in, in every endeavor as we move forward in life. Here's, here's from a therapist, uh, an article. is just a couple years old. Um, and this is just the, just the intro to the article, just the first few sentences. Your heart speaks the truth. Your heart, this is, this is a message from our culture that we've all heard, and many of us, it, we've just absorbed it, and we, we might not even have dis- discerned or, or, or tried to, to take it out. It's just, it's just in the water that we swim. Your heart speaks the truth. It's as simple and sacred as this. No one knows your heart better than you do. I looked for a footnote in there until you get married, but she didn't, she didn't put it in there, but no one knows your heart better than you do. Your heart speaks to you every day in the language of love. It speaks to you with kindness and hope. It never speaks of fear and doubt, and it will never betray you. Your heart honors you, and you can laugh out loud at some point if you want to. <laughs> like, its I mean, this is, this is embarrassing to read, when you listen to the guidance of your heart, your peace and happiness is restored. Yeah, <laughs> huh? Your heart holds the key to your life. That's true. Your dreams, wishes, and desires are all embedded in your heart. Absolutely true. A bunch of ridiculousness that ends with a little bit of yeah, that's true. It's this mixture of just crazy talk with. And, I mean, we we've all heard that, haven't we? Your heart can't betray you. It speaks love and goodness and unicorns and cupcakes to you all the time. Like, like, no, like, I mean, has this therapist heard of shame? Like, I think a few of us have felt that before. Like, this is just not true to the human experience. Yeah, it would be great if it was true. If I was designing humanity, that's probably what I would go with. That's not true. That doesn't work. We know that we've been hurt by our own heart. We've been betrayed by our own heart. Our own heart lies to us. We have a hard time understanding what's in our own heart. We understand that we get that. Jeremiah says it this way in chapter 17, verse 6. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You don't have to raise your hands, but I raise my hand to that and go, that that resonates with my, that resonates with my heart. My heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And I'm so glad that that's very clearly stated in the Old Testament because it's stated in the, embedded in this whole story that this good thing is coming that God has promised that a Savior is going to show up and fix that. And fix my heart so that it's less deceitful, so that it finds its cure in Jesus, so that I can begin to understand it and maybe even begin to trust it. There's a huge difference in knowing our heart and following our heart. And the more that Jesus gets a hold of our heart and refines it, then then it begins to help us and serve us well, because it's serving Jesus before it's serving us. Jesus comes after our heart first. The second message that we get from culture, I think, is so well depicted in this one particular scene of a new TV show, Uh, Apple TV just came out, I think, in the fall, and um, our our home got a free subscription through it because we, we bought another Apple product, and one of their key shows that they started with was The Morning Show, and some of you, I'm sure, have seen it. Abby and I have watched the whole 10 episodes, um, and it, it was good. It was decent. Um, if you don't know anything about the show, it's, uh, uh, it stars uh, Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, and it's all shaped around a, a morning show, but it's basically taken the, the, the story of... Um, Matt Lauer and kind of other powerful men in the entertainment industry um, who have abused their power and sexually abused and harassed uh, uh, women, particularly in in the workplace. And um, it takes a lot of the storylines from that true story into the the morning show. Um, In the ninth episode, um, there's a scene that's just a few seconds long, um, but it captures so well a lie that is embedded in our culture. Mitch Ketzler is the version of of Matt Lauer, he's played by Steve Carell, he gets fired in the first episode um, uh, for abusing his power and sexual abuse in the workplace um, of of women. Uh, One of those women is a a young booker named uh, Hannah, Uh, and Hannah's on assignment in Las Vegas, and uh, Mitch has taken a notice in her that she doesn't realize it's just purely selfish and sexual, it's not for her own development as a professional. Um, and she trusts him and looks up to him and ends up in his ho- hotel room watching a movie one night and he, he sleeps with her. Um, and it's that messy abusiveness of when one person has much more power than another and it's ugly and, and she suffers greatly because of it and goes to report it in some version and is given a, a promotion Um, and realizes this is how this works. I'll be quiet and get this massive promotion I'm not ready for, but because of my career, I'll do it. And so in all of her pain and shame takes the promotion and doesn't say anything. And the scene in episode nine is Hannah sitting across a table in a bar with Claire. And Claire is also young like her and up and and coming and hoping to rise the ranks in the industry and um, is actually having a fairly healthy dating relationship with a, a guy who's on screen. And they are actually genuinely love each other but it's a hidden relationship because of all the mess going on. And across the bar, the table in the bar, um, Claire says, I, I love him. I don't, I don't want this relationship to get messed up because we're co-workers and he's a, a level higher. Um, I really love him. And, and Hannah, in all of her pain, says to Claire, I know you, you think you love him. But that's a transitory chemical feeling that's not worth risking your career over there's there's so much pain and shame and messed up stuff going on in that interaction but the lie that has been broadcast to us that is deeply embedded in our culture is that we're we're nothing more than our love is nothing more than a chemical reaction that goes on in our body that we're reduced to biology and chemistry and that's it And we need to combat that lie with a very different narrative that scripture tells us. That we're beings that were created by a loving God to be in relationship with him. Who aren't just biology and chemistry and things and mammals that will live for a very short amount of time and then grow back into dust. But that we actually have a soul and a heart and are meant for intimate personal interaction with the God of the universe. That that's the truth. And, and why focusing on this and understanding this and taking the hard look at our own hearts is so timely for us as a church is because we've just come out of a year of jubilee. We've just come out of a season where we've sought to rest and to reset our, our hearts on Jesus. And as we move forward into the things that God is calling us to as a church, if you and I don't have our hearts readily available for God to work in and to refine and to heal and to shape, then where he's calling us to as a church won't make a difference. That it matters of what the inner part of who we are, that our desires and longings are shaped by God, redeemed by God. Then we can actually move to where he wants us to go. And if we get those things out of order and start talking about all of the things that God's called us to as a church without working on our hearts first and having those available to him, we're gonna get off track and not be where he cares about most. And that's us in step with him. That's us that are in step with him and are able to be in step with others. That's us in step with him and one another as a church family that can then be available to be light to our world and city. And so we need to do the hard work of looking at our heart. I need to tell you that as we step into this, part of my own nervousness is that this is not my sweet spot. I love knowing stuff in my brain. I love understanding stuff. I like clarity, and if I'm gonna be completely honest, part of the reason I like those things is because it gives me a false sense of control in whatever space I'm in. That's not a good thing. Understanding's good. Studying God's word is good. Being aware and all that. It, it, but if my heart is not first and foremost available to God, and I'm actually doing the just really weird, for me, weird and uncomfortable work of understanding what my deepest longings are. I've got a whole part of my reality that is sectioned off, not only from God, but from those closest to me, my wife and family, the team I get to lead with, and with my church family. And so I just want you to know that, that I'm nervously excited, can I say that? absolutely willing to step into an unknown area where I believe that God's going to kind of do new work in me. I'm trusting he's going to do a new work in you, but it's, but it's actually going to be at a heart level before it's anything else. And that's, that's uncharted territory for me. And so that's all I have to say about that. Let's do it. Amen. want to I want to ask you to do two things this week um one is would you intentionally verbally ask the Holy Spirit to work on you to invite the Holy Spirit to work in your life I don't know if that's a new thing for you if you're comfortable talking to the Holy Spirit that was a new thing for me just a number of years ago I, I, God and Jesus are great Holy Spirit that one was new for me um We need to ask collectively the Holy Spirit to work in us. And so I want to invite you to start talking to the Holy Spirit. And that might be weird because you don't know what he or she looks like or any of that, and that's totally fine. Let's just step into that together. But that you would ask the Holy Spirit to begin working specifically on your heart, even if you don't even know what the heart is yet. We'll get to that in the coming weeks if that's still not clear to you. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Will you tell one other person in your life something at least to the degree that you're aware of, of a deeper longing or desire other than that you wish that the streetlights would change for you. It's got to be deeper than that, you know. And again, some of you are going to be way, way deeper in and others of you are going to not be as deep in and, and that's fine. Let's just start practicing together to talk to one other person this week, talk to the Holy Spirit and one other person that you would, you would do that this week. The third thing I'm going to ask you to do is to come to this table this morning in front of us and to be reminded that that God is not looking just at at the, the sum total of your behavior this week or to in your life up until this point. That the external parts of you as meaningful and as valuable and as important as they are, that God is actually looking at your your heart. Samuel first Samuel 16:7 7 or 17, I think 16:7. Uh, is this, this is great. And you've probably heard this before, but many of you have. But, but the Lord said to Samuel, and he's talking about picking the next king of Israel. He's about to anoint David. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The, the, David's not the one being rejected. It's a, a taller brother, and he's, he's getting his way, working his way towards David, who was a younger brother. Would not have been picked. But he... God's reminding Samuel that I, I look at the heart and not just what we look on our outside. Isn't that great? New? Can you imagine if God just assessed what we look like physically and how we've behaved and what our resume is? Most of us would hate that. Some of us are really good looking and we're like, yeah, maybe. But most of us are like, don't look at the outside. Gosh, maybe if God refined my heart, I'd have a chance with him. And it's better even than that. Psalm, Psalm 147 and 149 say this. They're up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to do this, whether you listen to me now or whether you read them before you walk forward. If you take communion this morning, if you come to one of these tables, read these before you come to the table this morning. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. The Lord takes delight in His people, He crowns the humble with victory. Look, that's, that's us. The Lord takes delight in those who fear him. We, we all fear God at some level. I mean, if, if you don't think God exists at all, and, and then, then, then maybe not. But, but that's God's desire, is to take delight in you in a relationship. God delights in us that he's created, so much so that he wants to be in relationship with us and look beyond the easy answers to what we want, look beyond how we've lived and behaved, look beyond what we look like. And so if you come to the table this morning, and I hope you come, to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us, it's with God fully clearly seeing us for who we are and delighting in us. Jesus, as we come to your table this morning, would we grow in our awareness and our understanding and in our longing and our desire for you? Would we even in this morning, feel you beginning to heal the things that prevent us from running to you, our shame, our choices, our decisions, even in the midst of all of that, would you help us? Would you compel us? Would you propel us to run toward you? And even in this morning, come into your table, Jesus, reminded of how much you love us because you gave your life, your body broken and your bloodshed.